I think you have to approach this with a level of, look, you're building a brand new product, you're innovating. That means that regulation and compliance might not have caught up just yet. So you have to be proactive. I'm Angelica Bell and welcome to the show. Now, whether you're an aspiring startup, a savvy small business or leading an established enterprise, we'll aim to bring you inspiring stories and fresh knowledge to help you grow with confidence. Join me as I talk to inspiring entrepreneurs and leaders, finding out how they overcame obstacles and grabbed opportunities to grow their thriving businesses. You can also catch Holly Mackay and Ashita Cabra-Davies on our extra show as they talk about trending issues faced by businesses everywhere. Well, my guest today is Adnan Ibrahim, co-founder of Mind Labs, the sleep and meditation app, and previously Car Throttle, an online car enthusiast community he built from the ground up. We're going to be talking about how you can manage risk and regulation as a startup, including data compliance issues and cybersecurity when running a business on a global level. Adnan, I'm really excited to talk to you because you have been on it since, since you were this high. Well, that high. <laughs> no, thank you, Angelica. Yeah, no, looking forward to having a chat. I think it probably sounds like I've done a lot, but yeah, it's been a 15, 16 year journey today. No, I think you're underselling it because you've always had an entrepreneurial mind, haven't you? And that was from the background you're from and your dad, he he was doing it and your mum was running a business as well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, definitely. I think I probably had a traditional, you know, upbringing background, but yeah, my parents were very entrepreneurial my dad on the surface was just a dentist but he had his own dental practice and you know early memories were helping to do his accounts and you know doing a check stub books with him and my mum started her own jewelry business as well and she's now selling into like airlines and shops so yeah there was always some kind of entrepreneurial bug in the family and I decided at the age of 15 to be that kind of stereotypical playground hustler (laughs) and started selling things to my mates at school and that was yeah that was my start into the murky world of entrepreneurship. Well Adam we're glad that you're going to share it all with us today so for anyone who doesn't know about your journey from car throttle to mind labs can you tell us about these businesses how it started it's a bit of a challenge I'm going to give you 60 seconds just to give everyone the lowdown. I'm not that strict though. (laughs) Sure (laughs) I'll try and I'll try and uh, compress it all so um, yeah, the first I've always I've always been obsessed with creating uh, digital communities online. So the very first community I had called Blogtrepreneur was this idea of how can I grow and understand the world of internet marketing. So I ran that for two years. It grew to a hundred thousand users, and then it got acquired just before my eighteenth birthday. And then I've always been, you know, a big petrol head car fan. And I thought, well, what if I'd combine what I've learned from the first business into the world of cars? And so we were the first publisher to really engage social audiences. And we grew to 15 million followers uh, around the world. And eventually I ran that through to its acquisition in 2019 by uh, Dennis Publishing, which was a a traditional magazine publisher. And I had gone through my own mental health journey through that business in my 20s. And I wanted to create a product for both myself and my co-founder, who also went through his own um, health anxiety, mental health struggles. And we realized that we just weren't alone and this generation needed a product that was made for them in a way that they were used to, you know, mobile video first, but with this ability to track your progress over time. And, and that's why we decided to launch Mind Labs. And I think Mind Labs is a great example of how tech is growing to meet human needs. And, and it comes from a personal place with you, doesn't it? Mm. Because like you said, 
you know, you realise there's not much help for people who are in that world to have de-stress moments or to know where they can go to find that peace. So what was it like setting up that business? Well, let's talk about Castle in the first place and how you got to Mind Labs then. Yeah, sure. It was it was a tough business. I think we were growing a media business at a time where media businesses went through a very big, you know, wave of popularity. And obviously we were taking advantage of massive platforms like Facebook, which were growing rapidly, Instagram, YouTube. So we were at the forefront of that and we grew very quickly. The community started to grow, but it also was a high pressured world. You know, the media environment was getting competitive pressure all over from the platforms. It was hard to monetize. We were became an agency business at a time where agency businesses became more difficult. So there were times where, you know, we had just we, we had stopped raising money. We were building just a profitable business, which we weren't trying to grow every single year, but it was hard. You know, there were times where we nearly ran out of money. I, I can remember three times where we were a couple of weeks away from not being able to make payroll. And I was the only founder of that business. And you can imagine the kind of psychological pressure that yeah. puts you under. Yeah. And that was where I think I started to discover the world of taking care of my mind. I think it was about 2015, 16. We went through a big pivot in the business. I had to make half the company redundant. It was diff- really difficult. Some of my friends, it affected me, to be honest. Yeah, and, and you were young. I mean, that's some some of the conversation people have when they're you know older or been through a few different careers, isn't it? Yeah, I, I was 25 doing it for the first time. Obviously, having a supportive investor group around me, but still, I was the person that was having to have the conversation. And it wasn't nice. Um, and um, that was where I discovered the world of mindfulness. I started to see a therapist and a coach, started to read a lot, read books like The Power of Now, and realised that actually I didn't know myself. I didn't understand what was happening inside my mind, which meant that you know I was causing those high stress moments as well. So that was what started me on the journey of, of understanding myself and um, you know becoming more aware, self-aware. And that was, you know, the start of the journey. Adnan, what are the biggest changes you're most excited about in your business space? So I think with mental health, we've seen such a big change over the last 10 years. You know, if I had said to you 10 years ago that I'm meditating, you might have looked at me with a bit of a funny face. But already we're starting to see in, you know, popular culture, celebrities like Lewis Hamilton or Toto Wolff, director of the Mercedes Formula One team, is talking about the fact that he's had 500 hours worth of therapy since he started as a Formula One boss. So it's something that actually men don't talk about a lot, which is their mind and mental health. And unfortunately, we saw such a big rise in male suicide rates over the last 20 years because there wasn't an outlet. So what we're really excited about is not just targeting a more female demographic. We're actually seeing that we have just as many men that are interested in mind labs and actually starting to tackle their mental health and talk to professionals and seek out coaching or in our case instructors teaching them tips that they'd never encountered before like breathwork and meditation and these platforms allow men who take up a lot of space in business and tech businesses to to improve on themselves be better people and know actually there's no stigma to this exactly that and you know there's a constant idea that everyone has mental health and it's never been more true within the male community, but also within ethnically diverse communities as well, where things like mental health have been seen as pariah. And now what's great is that we have certain communities that are now embracing the idea that actually it's okay to talk about mental health. And, you know, particularly we're seeing that within the Asian communities as well, which is something that I'm, you know, particularly wanting to move the wheel forward on as well. 
So how did you find the response to Mind Labs when asking users to trust an app where they're giving over personal information and data for the first time, which a lot of people you know, find difficult? But I'm guessing you had a strong community and trust from your previous um, business that helped Mind Labs in the first instance. It, yeah, exactly. And I think we've always approached it as how do we build the most trust from both the car throttle and then the Mind Labs perspective. And our approach to doing that was to be human. So at Car Throttle, it was, you know, sharing Instagram, Twitter, hosting real life car meets. People got to see us behind the lens and see, you know, who we were. And that meant that they fundamentally knew us as people. Yeah. And then with Mind Labs, again, maybe not on the personal accounts as much, but then with the company accounts, we're very active, especially with our instructors. We're a video based platform. And so you get to know the instructors. They're real human beings. We're not a faceless tech company. We really try and be more human. And I think that's what's allowed us, you know, to build an Instagram community of 70,000 followers already. On TikTok, we you know we're, we're doing behind the scenes. It's more, it, it's a more real life look at a tech company than I think most companies allow and so because of that we have an advantage and with that advantage we, we generate that trust yeah and, and I think trust comes much more easily when you see the whites of people's eyes yes and you see this is them this is the reality and also with that personal experience of yours it's like actually he's invested in this yeah and I'd like to think that given the stories that we've shared around our own personal struggles with mental health as well there is a level of authenticity around Oh, actually, they know the problem that they're trying to solve and therefore they're kind of a user of their own product. And so, you know, the concept of dog fooding or using your own product is super important to us because we're almost building this product for us first and foremost. And then we believe that there are other people like us out there that would get value from this too. No, exactly. I want to discuss rules and regulations now because it is a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Um, what's your top tip for a new tech entrepreneur to navigate them? So there is a wealth of information now online. I think that's the beauty of starting a business today versus 10 years ago. There's pretty much an article or a YouTube video about everything you need to know. So my top tip would be firstly to to read, learn, understand what's happening uh, when it comes to regulation and compliance. Obviously, of course, you know, when setting up a business like Mind Labs, when it comes to something as personal as your mental health, you also have to seek professional advice. And we've been lucky enough to go and seek out that professional advice, talking to someone that knows the space. Also, I think you have to approach this with a level of, look, you're building a brand new product, you're innovating. That means that regulation and compliance might not have caught up just yet. So you have to be proactive in really going, okay, are we doing this to fundamentally help the customer? And if you always have the end customer in mind, more often than not, you'll make the right decision. Right. And with MindLab, I mean, I know you want to go global um, and make it a big, fantastic platform for people to get sort of the, the mindfulness that they need. What sort of rules and regulations do you expect to see and those hurdles in the future? Yeah. So, I mean, right now uh, in the UK, because we've just launched in the UK and Europe, there are things that we have to comply with here that would also mean that we have to comply if we, for example, go to the States. So one of the big ones for us is around um, the regulation around a medical device. And for us, we make sure that we're not positioned as a medical device. And by that, it's software that doesn't have therapeutic uh, purposes or diagnostic purposes. So we're trying to make sure that we develop trust with the customer, but we're not overselling them and making false promises at the same time. And obviously, when it, go, when it goes across the pond or you go to the US, there are different regulations there that we're going to have to comply with. But GDPR, for example, in Europe, they, they, they're doing things to help protect 
consumers at the end of the day. So practices that we're putting in and here, you would assume are also applicable around the world as well. So what you're saying is in different countries, there's different rules. So just be on top of that and make sure you seek the right advice to so say in America or whatever. And is it also as well, but I'm not pretending you're, like you said, you're not doctors. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you have this help, helpful platform that people can buy into and know what they're getting. Exactly that. And, you know, we always believe that we're targeting people that are potentially not at a life interrupting stage of mental health illness or disease. And for anyone that is suffering more, we do recommend they go and seek out professional help, whether it's from a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist. We help users that are more into, I guess, mental fitness, proactively trying to take care of their minds and not those that are, you know, at those life interrupting mental health illness stages. No, exactly. And things that you can do at home and just practice, you know, like sleep. I feel looking at your sleep things, you know, if you haven't had enough sleep, what you can do, how people can help you and just basic things like that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there are so many of these trigger points in our lives, whether it's work stress, you've just had a stressful meeting or you can't sleep because you've got racing mind and racing thoughts. These are things that we can help with, you know, with breathwork techniques or an example of a meditation exercise. And those are the kind of tools and techniques we're really looking to bring into everyday life. Now, customers and their privacy is a growing concern in today's society and something Mind Labs takes very seriously. And it's an ongoing debate as big tech firms and regulators look to shape our privacy laws. What should tech startups be paying closest attention to? Yeah, so I think one of the most important concepts that we look to internalise at the company is what we like to call privacy by design. So by that, I mean, with uh, Europe's GDPR, for example, things like having an opted out um, communications box. So people aren't opted into communications by default. And of course, when it comes to privacy, we whenever we interact with the outside world now, you can probably imagine that there's some, some degree of data sharing that's happening. So data is part of every single system that there is. And it's just about being customer friendly when it comes to that data. So are you making sure that customers know if that data is being used for any specific purpose? And is it being used to help better their experience? So for us, we actually look at our model in a very similar way to a Spotify. Spotify can serve someone with a song they think they're going to love next. And we do exactly the same with classes. We believe that through understanding you, we can serve you with the next best class that we think will help you to feel happier. Well, how do you protect yourself and then the consumer if they are, you know, willingly giving this data over and you're going to go global? Because once you go global, it gets bigger. There's more loopholes. And and it's scary, you know, when I think about it, you know, giving people, where is it going to go? How can you ensure that it's going to be okay? I think fundamentally it's just communication with that user. So what is data going to be used for? So we're not in the advertising business. I think that's the difference from the previous businesses that we've had where there was advertising involved and targeting. This isn't that type of business. We gain consumer trust by them knowing that the only way that we use data is to better their own experiences. That data isn't shared outside of that. And so if you're helping to build a better experience, like again, you know, your Spotify or Netflix, the more that the platform gets to know them, just the better their experience will be. And the more that they'll be retained in the long run, then the more they'll actually get value out of that platform. And that's the only way that you can actually ensure that you're talking to them and they're understanding the the transaction involved. And also, is it about making sure the consumer knows, right, this is where my data is going, but then I have the option and make it easy and simplify it to come out of it and know how to do that. Because yeah. sometimes I find these things a little bit complicated. You're like, okay, where do I have to go to manage this? 
and and companies like Apple are doing actually a really great job at trying to educate users even more. So, for example, we always talk about the latest iOS updates, and it's quite a big thing in tech to talk about. Oh, iOS update just came out, but actually, what it allows people to do is say, you know what, I don't want this app to track me around the web. And so there's a simple, you know, IDFA banner that will pop up, which means that you as the consumer can choose. Or, for example, when it comes to sharing health data with healthcare, you can toggle in which data sets you do want to share. And therefore, you are more in control of your data as well. So I feel like, yes, of course, we need to make it even simpler. We need to educate users even more. But I think that we're always going in the right direction when it comes to that. And specifically with health data, it's something so personal to you that it's not in our best interest to use that data in any other way, because then you lose the whole business if you don't have trust at the end of the day. Now, Mind Labs relies on users giving their personal information over on smart devices and wearables. And with the recent shortage of silicon needed for new tech, do you see that having a knock-on effect for your business? And how would you look to overcome that issue? Thankfully, because we're a software company first, all of the interactivity that we have with wearable devices fundamentally goes through something like Apple or Apple HealthKit. So they have the relationships with those external wearable providers. And also, look, we take a longer term view of the market. Do we think that in five to 10 years time, wearables will continue to be a thing? Well, of course. Actually, you know, just in 2022, the number of wearable devices is expected to hit 1 billion units. And it's only growing. There are devices and sensors and more things, your watch, your Fitbits, your rings. And ultimately, it's because people do want to understand themselves better, not just overskin, but underskin. And so when you can start to have more of an understanding of your body, how do you feel, your mind, actually, it's more exciting over the next five to 10 years. And fundamentally, fundamentally, as an optimistic entrepreneur, I believe that those you know, chip shortages or silicon issues will be resolved. And therefore, we're betting that the next wave of wearable devices will have already solved those problems for us. And I think the other thing is there are so many companies that have been started in these downturns, recessions. Great examples are Instagram or WhatsApp or Uber. So whenever there is, you know, market opportunity, I feel like the best ideas always will will win out and there's a way to capitalise on, on, you know, bigger macro uh, issues. Do you think that because you're into tech, the future is much more exciting? Whereas some, for some people, they're just like, oh my gosh, what else is going to be there? You know, what's going to happen? What else am I going to have to buy? Yeah, I, I think so. Maybe <laughs> I, I have that kind of ingrained optimism that tomorrow is always going to be better. But there's also just constant opportunity. I think when you look at the landscape of what's possible today versus 10 years ago, it's actually incredible as to what we've built. Everything from, you know, electric cars to, you know, space exploration. And you just... I'm fascinated about what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. And so my lens is always what's going to be possible versus I'm scared of what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. And I suppose that optimism is brilliant for people who want to start up business in the tech world. Yeah, because look, there, there are a million reasons as to why things might go wrong, but you only need to have one reason as to why things might go right. And for me, I choose to focus on that one reason because there is such a, you know, we're talking about risks, regulation, compliance, there are a million of these different rules and regulations that might actually scare you into starting. And actually, one of the things I love to do when talking to new entrepreneurs and the next generation is to encourage them and say, yes, you have to be very prudent and proactive about risks, regulation, compliance. But at the same time, you have to also just get going. And one of the things is that you will learn the more you read, the more you educate yourself about a market what are the best practices. Um, But you can't do that unless you're in the playing field. No, exactly. And those rules and regulations are there to protect you. Mm -hmm. Well, looking at toward the future, 
where there might be more unknowns, like we've said. What trends or shifts in global markets do you predict the most promising growth areas for tech startups might be? Yeah, so I think firstly, in our space, health tech is probably going to be one of the next big frontiers. And we spoke a little bit about understanding the body, but it's that idea of the connected self. So can you see in real time what's happening to things like your blood sugar levels? Well, today you can now with continuous glucose monitors. Can you see what's happening to your mind with EEG sensors? That's starting to become a possibility. And actually, all of these different biomarkers tells us a slightly different thing about how you're feeling. And then with the increase in the amount of sensors that we're going to have in the future, you're going to be able to tell a lot more about yourself. And then with you know, machine learning and AI, you can crunch all of that data to basically form a synopsis. How's Angelica doing today? Yeah. And with that, you can actually use that to power feeling better. So I'm really excited about that. I think the mental health space is going to continue to be destigmatized. Ten years ago, if you told someone that you were meditating, I think they probably would have looked at you slightly weirdly. <laughs> yeah. I think today, if I you say, I completely agree. Yeah, it's, it's moved on. We've we've successfully destigmatized that. Why do you think that is? Because you know, you're making me think now. You're right. Ten years ago, I wasn't. I wouldn't get up and be like, "How do I feel?" Or you know, I need to think about. You know, even with some of the guys here, we were talking about time for me getting your nails done, getting your face, you know, all those sort of things weren't necessarily at the forefront of anyone's mind. Do you think technology, business, the pace of life has pushed us into thinking more about our health and well-being? Yes. I think if you look at all of the charts and the graphs, even prior to COVID, unfortunately, suicide rates in young men and women were the highest they'd been in 20 years. And then the pandemic hit. And depending on which source you look at, depression doubled or tripled during the pandemic. And I think it's a combination of lifestyle, more working from home, technology. We're always connected. We're always supposed to be talking to someone. But actually, we've never felt more lonely as a generation. So what has that meant for our minds? Well, thankfully, there's been this wave of people advocating for mental health. And we've seen it in the kind of celebrity sphere. And it's starting to trickle down now. So I think it's more widely accepted to say, hey, slow down. Take a bit of a pause and a break. It's okay to take that pause and break because otherwise you're going to burn out and you're going to overstress and it's going to lead to much bigger problems. And so now, you know, you've got more one-to-one therapy. The the use of the word therapy in the UK is starting to change. Coaching. And that's, I guess, a a wave that we're hoping to ride as well. Well, Mind Labs has been a hugely successful venture and it was your second business. Do you think it's always good to have sort of one eye on a fresh business, you know, thinking what's ahead, you know, leaving this one, going to that one. But then, like you said... There is this gap where health and mindfulness is is widening and growing. So are you happy to stay in it or are you thinking, I need to move on to the third? Oh, no. I think for, for the time being, there's so much opportunity with the mental health space. And because I think for me, I'm personally obsessed with trying to make the world a happier place for a bunch of different reasons that, um, yes, it's easy to look at a bunch of things going on outside of this space. And to be honest, I do look around, talk to people. I'm lucky enough to have done a bit of angel investing myself. So it means that I'm connected to what's happening outside. And you can actually draw a lot of inspiration now of other people's operational strategies or what they're doing and apply it to your own business. So that's the way I like to look at innovation outside of the mental health space. I use it as a source of inspiration for me, a way to motivate myself as well. And then also, you know, if I can help to give back, that's something that I really want to start doing more and more of and I already do a bit of that you know mentoring and advising the next generation because I think that's also just a way of staying energized and you know the next big technology trends 
I don't want to be the old fuddy-duddy that doesn't understand how to use that next app. So for me, I just enjoy it because I guess I'm a technologist at heart. And I suppose that inspires you when you know that there's other people wanting to start out, wanting to do stuff, to talk, share those ideas, because it'll make you grow and your business grow in the end anyway. Exactly that. And I think it's it's not a zero-sum game. When you look at entrepreneurship and you, when you look at business, we're there as a community of founders, entrepreneurs, early-stage um, team members to help build the future fundamentally. And that means that more than one thing is going to build the future. So fundamentally, you have to stay fearlessly optimistic. That's actually a trait that we hire for. It's that ability to know that actually in order to change the world, you must first believe you can change the world. And after that, everything follows. Well, I want to know what piece of advice, if there is one, that you've been given that you live by. The main piece of advice that I like to give is to just start. I think there are a million and one reasons why you shouldn't start a business, but you just need to find the right motivation in order to get going. So whether that's cold emailing that first person, picking up the phone and calling someone, trying to earn that first pound of revenue from a customer, you just need to start and you just need to get going and everything else follows from that. Adnan, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. It's been fascinating. Thank you for having me, Angelica. It's been great to chat. Brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us and our amazing guest, Adnan Ibrahim, for this episode. Now, next week, join Holly and Ashita on our extra show as they discuss adapting to tech compliance and security in an uncertain world. And if today's episode has inspired you, head to our website and find out more insights and potential solutions that could help you take action today. Until next time.